0: Good morning. There is an appointed time of everything. There is a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot what is planted, Ecclesiastes 3. Um, As we think of any prayer requests, please fill out your worship flyers. Also, too, just remember the opportunities we have to grow during the week. And then also, too, uh, to share for the harvest, the food bank that we helping hands, we're helping with. And then also, too, for children, baby change for treehouse ministry. Um, as we worship God, it says, I was glad when they sent unto me that it's going to the house of the Lord. Let's stand together as we sing our first hymn: thing. Glorious things of these are spoken.
1: in our fast-paced world it's pretty easy to fall victim to sin but what doesn't change is God's promise to us that if we confess our sins they will be forgiven. Please join me in this prayer of confession. God Almighty we come before you realizing how far short we fall of your perfection. Forgive us for the times we look at things from a worldly point of view rather than your eternal perspective. We admit we read people on surface level and rarely look deeper to consider the struggles going on in their lives. We like to take the world's easy way of writing them off with names or titles that demean them as people and their intelligence when they disagree or hurt us. We admit it is hard to pray for those who hurt or persecute us or say thing, or say all kinds of evil things about us. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to flex our faith by loving them even when they have ill will towards us. All this we can do in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the joy of being forgiven in Christ ourselves. It is through Jesus we pray this. Amen. Our assurance of forgiveness this morning comes from Colossians 1, verses 13 through 14. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Our guidelines for living this morning also comes from Colossians 2, verses 6 through 7. And now, just as you have accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him, Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness.
0: Thank you, Scott. Let's continue to worship as we sing our God. Let's stand together, if you will.
2: to one, open the eyes of the blind.
0: Scripture reference for this great hymn is Hebrews twelve two, 2. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and protector of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand in the throne of God. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you for that old rugged cross, which reminds us so much of the blessed blood of you, Savior, coming and washing away our sins and giving us the promise of eternal life. We thank you for buying us back and redeeming us from our sinful patterns and giving us so much. Giving us eternal life and a heaven with you and to be adopted as your children, but also too, Father God, the blessings of this life. Lord, receive these gifts that these people give from their hearts because they're so grateful for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. <laughs> Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we just give you praise and glory and honor and thanksgiving for the wonderful blessings that you give us each and every day for this beautiful weather that we've been having, Lord, and for the rain that has refreshed life, Lord. We just thank you for that. We thank you also too, Father God, for this great nation and for the opportunities that we have in it and the way we can be part of it and live in it and enjoy the freedoms thereof. We pray especially to Father God for wisdom for the people that lead it, and that they will listen from the early fathers of this land who geared themselves to a biblical understanding of faith, a biblical understanding of government, and a biblical understanding for the people. We pray, Father God, help them in the decisions that they make, for they are many. We Praise you also too, Lord, for the covid uh, continuing to go down. We thank you for the vaccinations that have come about and for the healing to this nation in that area. We praise you especially, Father God, too, um, for those who work as civil servants the police fire e m s They put themselves down on the line every week lord and the things that we hear in our own city of killings and people uh, abusing each other and doing all kinds of evil. I just pray as they stand in the gap and help and heal, that you'll use them more and protect them all, Father God. We pray also too, Father God, for those in our midst who've been going through health issues. We think of Lucille and Anne and Kay, for Joyce, Lord, in her back. And I pray for Mary and her grief, I pray for Frank Wonka, Father God, and for his healing. We pray for Jessica Mackey, uh, the news that our chemo treatment is working, Lord. We just give you praise for that. We pray also, too, Father God, for uh, Susie, Lord, and for Monica, who started her, going to be starting her uh, uh, chemo treatment, and also for Mitch, who started his on his throat. We pray also, too, Lord, for... Um, Tom Henyon, my my nephew and uh, his cousin, that Lord Jesus, that he will bring continued healing to his body for the Davis family, for Tom Johnson, who passed away, just be with Eddie and their family and their loss. I pray also, too, for Betty and Howard for healing for them. I pray also, too, for Dan, Father, you know, the struggles that he's going through. We pray also, too, Lord, for Everett and Sharon, Father, as uh, they're coming out of the COVID now, Lord, I just pray you'll continue to bless them with healing and strength. We pray for those who are battling addictions, too, for Ryan and Jordan and David and Brady and Eric and Ricky, Uh, these guys who are under the crutch, Lord, under the battle and deep side of their hearts. I pray for victory for them and for others that we know, that we love. Uh, that we want them to have victory in their hearts and in their strength, I pray now, Father, God, for those unspoken needs, Lord, someone out there and may have somebody in their heart. I pray for marriages, Lord, I pray for people who are struggling right now, Lord, that um, uh, you will just give them the strength to continue to carry on and gain victory through them. And, Father, now I pray for this message as we come to it, Lord. Help us uh, to grow from it, to gain from it. May your Holy Spirit work on us to make it come alive to our hearts. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. In 1993, Harvard professor Samuel Huntington wrote a paper, a policy paper for the United States government. And in it, he wrote that there's fault lines in our civilizations that are going to be affecting us in the future. Little did he know back then in 1993 how true that was. Because what is going on right now, there is a tremendous fault line and conflict in our world, in the clash of civilizations. In 9-11, we saw that clash when Muslims made a definite statement of how wrong the American culture has become, how its values have lifted. And what he said is, we're not going to have a military clash. It's not going to be an economic clash. But what he said is that we're going to have a clash in values. And right now, we are in the midst of a tremendous upheaval and clash in the values and the morals of our society today. When I was growing up, I can remember the mamas and the papas. They weren't such good mamas and papas, believe me. But they were good singers. And one of the songs that they sang, it's I want to be in the in crowd. And today we see that all throughout our society. People wanting to be in the in crowd and want to dance and be there. And one of the things that we're discovering is that people want to wear the same clothes. They want to do the same things, They want to live living perfectly. And the Bible tells us, even before this guy wrote back in 91, 2,000 years ago. Jesus said there's going to be a cultural class as you as a Christian. And those clashes are going to be struggle because they're eternal. And he said in Matthew chapter 7, the wide is going to be the way that leads to destruction. Many thereby will follow it. But narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Jesus called his disciples and he calls you and me. To be countercultural Christians. People who stand up in the crowd and stand out in the crowd and show the world that there's a different way. There's an eternal way. And that we see that in many strong ways, that there's a wrong way and there's a right way. For instance, Jesus' way is forgiveness. Jesus' way is love. Jesus' way is that grace will be brought to those who accept Christ and truly want to be saved from death. We also know there's a wide way. We hear of all the different devices right now, the divisions. We've heard of Black Lives Matter, and we've also heard about now this whole thing with Asians being targeted. Because in Wuhan, the COVID virus started, and now Japanese, Chinese, anyone who's of Asian descent is being attacked. And Peter says, no, that we're to stand tall and strong against such values. Peter, if you remember, was speaking to a persecuted group. Who was taken by Nero and used as a scapegoat so that he could burn down Rome so that he could build another one that would be honoring to him. And what we realize is these people were being persecuted, burned at the stake, and being dragged behind uh, uh, chariots, they were being beaten to death, dragged out of their homes. And Peter says to them, you need to stand strong. You need to stand against the culture. And even though you are being persecuted, you are to submit to the government that's wrong. You're to submit to the worker or the, the, uh, the employer that's wrong. You're to submit to even in your relationships that may not have the partner who loves the Lord. You're to stand and submit in the love of Christ. And so Peter encourages them. And if you remember in the first three chapters, he talks about them being a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people who stand in the gap between culture and God. And that we are forgiven in Jesus Christ and that we follow a different Savior. And now, that we are going to be persecuted and that there are going to be times when the heat's going to be so intense, but that Jesus is seen in us even in the most intense spots of life and that we walk according to Jesus. And now, Peter begins and continues on about suffering, teaching us on the subject of suffering, and what suffering is to do in you and me, when we're persecuted for our faith, when our values are being put on the line, and they will be challenged. You know as well as I do, the next four years are going to be challenging for us, not to be political, but just to know that the values are going to be very strangely different that we are in a society right now when you're being brought up and that the equality act is a very much an anti-religious volume against christianity and against the values that we hold we need to stand strong we need to hold our arms and the bible tells us that when we are persecuted even all those things that are negative Work together for your good and mine as Christians to refine us and to make us more like Jesus. And that as we walk in the way of Christ, he'll be seen in our lives as we walk that way. And that we're not to capitulate. And so Peter begins with a military term in this chapter. And he says, therefore, summarize all that we've been through so far since Christ has suffered in the flesh Arm yourselves. It's a military turn of putting on the gear, getting ready for the fight. Also, and with the same purpose as Jesus, willing to put your life down for the faith. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer to the lust of men but for the will of God. That's where we're at. You and I are to arm ourselves no longer living to the world's way, but we are living now to God's way. And that our benefit from this suffering is to be a changed and transformed person. And he gives us the benefits of that. He says to us, that this suffering helps us see that the things of this world that we thought were so important in our youth, so important in the world's way, are not important to us. In fact, they're a waste of time when they're considered in the context of eternity. He shows us the transforming power of suffering when you and I live no longer for ourselves. No longer for our selfish will, but we live for the will of God who sent us to the earth for a special purpose. That this transforming power moves inside of us. And it shuts the door, if you will, as we hold on to the grace of Christ and we look to him. We shut the door to sin in our lives. And we give glory to God. The Greek word here is arm yourself. Be prepared for a battle because it will pull, it will tug on both your insides and also those friends and people outside that will try to pull you back in to its grip. That you will walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. And even in the church, the church you will hear things that are just unbelievable. This past week some of you might have heard it. I was so disappointed when I heard Beth Moore was leaving the Southern Baptist Church. Why? She said it was because the Southern Baptists had been too strict. What? And that the reason why this young man went out and killed those people in Messiah's Paul is because of his temptation and he was trying to... This man was a sick man. It's not because John MacArthur or Vody Bachman, powerful Baptist preachers, are preaching the word and saying this is sin and we got to stop it. We don't stop holding this standard up so that we can let the world pitter patter its way through life. That is wrong, and that's what I see here has happened. You see what has happened in the church, and I'm not picking on just a Southern Baptist of our own denomination. And many denominations, the Presbyterians, the Lutherans, the episcopal all of them have gotten accustomed to the darkness. I was reading, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. Sandy and I went to a restaurant, and you know how some restaurants are there, dark, to kind of set the mood for romance. I get in there and I think I need a gold, I need a miner's hat on to see And then I have to pull my phone out when they give me me the menu to see what's on the menu, to read it. I pull my phone out and put the light on. them, hope I'm not getting into anybody's eyes. And you see, after a while, though, we get settled and our eyes get accustomed to the darkness. And that's what's happened in the church. The church has become accustomed to the darkness and not wanting to offend anybody and wants to be free with the world. We cannot be friends with the world. It's darkness. It's accustomed to sin. And we're to cease from sin. That's what Jesus says. And we have been bombarded, our children, ourselves. We have accustomed to the darkness. Sandy and I like to watch shows, but we've basically tape them before we go to them. And then when we watch the show, we are speeding through the advertisement. One, two, three, four, nine advertisements. And half of them are not about the product, but they're also giving us a subliminal message of something sinful in our society. And they're promoting some form of lifestyle that is not Christian. And you think about this. You and I, on the average, are being hit from 300 to 350 advertisements a day. Whether it be a bumper sticker or a a poster out on the roadside or on watching TV or with the radio on. And we are being bombarded. And I would like to sit, I'm thinking about doing it and seeing which ones of those not only is speaking, but, but it's promoting a lifestyle that's not pleasing as a Christian to God. And we've become accustomed to that. And it brings down some of our, we've become dull to those things in our society. And you see, this is what Peter said. Now, he's not saying because you suffer. You're going to be purged from sin. No. Because, you know, there's some people who suffer and they don't get purged from sin. You think about Pharaoh and how God had Pharaoh continue to to not do the will of God. And God continued to give him bad things happening and he still did them. You take a drug addict and, and, and even though how bad they feel, once they get that lick, man, they're feeling good again. And here the Bible tells us the world is tragically a broken world. And there are areas of sin and temptation that are out there that are trying to take us for a ride. And it's in there. I get engaged couples coming to me to get married. I had another one this morning coming to the pulpit looking to get married. And it's wonderful. But when you start talking to them about the reality of a marriage and the cycle of marriage and dealing with the issues that you deal with differently than each other and the power that it has, they'll sit there and look at you and say, Oh, that might be everybody else, but not us. We're in love. Oh, hit me over the head with a two by four. But they don't know. They don't know the reality of what it is like living with a sinner and you with a sinner and wanting your own way. And even Christians who strive to live with Christ as the center of their heart and, and the other one of Christ as the center. Sometimes we don't want to live that way and we live in sin and, and we clash with each other. And our values are different and trying to mold that together and are wanting our way and they wanting their way. How easy it is to tear you apart. You see, this is what Peter is speaking about. And he says, cease sinning. Let the suffering take your mind off of the things that you want. And think of what's God's priority in your marriage, in your life, and what's right and wrong. And let him have dominion. See, this is the whole thinking that Peter is saying. Our Christology needs to understand how it affects suffering that purges us from the unimportant things of life. The sinful matters and makes us look at the eternal matters. As it says in Philippians, so whatever is pure, whatever is good. Whatever is wholesome. This is what the couple. This is what the world. This is what the church needs to see. And it needs to cease from sinning. No longer driven by our selfishness. Our human desires. But rather by the will of God. And that when we're going through the trials of life. And God is putting us through the ringer, There is purpose behind it. To purge us. From our sinful selves. And that he is not divinely absent in those problems. But rather he is very divinely present in those problems. And he's trying to purge us. From ourselves. And experience the divine grace that we need. And understand that Christ is working in us. And that we have the attitude that he talks about in Philippians 2. Like Christ who didn't think himself more important than coming down to this earth and dying for us to redeem us so that we can live beyond our selfishness and live for him and what is right in God's sight. Here we have it. And that we don't live for the moment. See, that's the problem in our society. There are many people, even many good Christians, who are living for the moment. I gotta have that thing now. And they put themselves way over financially in a bind. I've gotta have that now, and they get themselves involved in an extramarital affair. I gotta have that now, and they get themselves in all kinds of gym because it's the now, rather than living in the eternity of thinking, what does God want me to have? I don't know if you've ever lived with a, 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 or known a, an addict. They, they get so uptight and you can see that their craving is getting a hold of them. And they see somebody. I was with a guy one time and he was so in need of a, a fix. And he was sweating. And, and when he saw somebody doing it, he begged them for just a little pop. So that he could have some relief. And you could see his whole body just desiring it. And as Christians, our attitude should be so much opposite that. That our desire should be for God's will. And not for giving ourselves into our own pleasures and desires but rather into the desires of which Christ wants for us. I love the movie that Tom Hanks was in with Forrest Gump. How many remember that movie? Good old Forrest. Everybody thought he was just dumb as a brick. Out of Alabama and yet went full ride to the University of Alabama on a scholarship because of his ability and speed. Then after that goes into the army and everything he does is fast and quick and efficient. Put the gun together, boom, 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 boom. boom, He puts the gun together. And his drill sergeant says to him, come, why did you put that rifle together so quickly? Because you told me so, drill sergeant. Later on, in the barracks, he's being screamed at by the drill sergeant. The drill sergeant says, why are you here in the army, sir? And Gump says, to do what you want me to do, drill sergeant. (laughs) You're a genius, Forrest. And folks, that's what God wants from us. Dave, why do you love that person who's so unlovely to you? Because you have told me to do that, Heavenly Father. Why have you forgiven this person who has hurt you so much? Because you have told me, Heavenly Father. Why do you serve that way, Dave? Because you have told me, Heavenly Father. That's what we need to have. What is our sole purpose in life? To give glory to God. To do whatever your will is, Heavenly Father. There were many people on Palm Sunday who were praising Jesus as he came down the walkway. But underneath there was a rebellion in some of many of their hearts. And that's why it turned on him by Thursday. Because they had their own agendas. They weren't totally sold out to Christ. and they were ready to do their will and not his. And so there's a choice. And today, Peter tells us there's a choice. And Soren Kierkegaard, who was a theologian, said this, which was so excellent about Palm Sunday and to remind us where we need to be. He says, Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. And we either really believe in him and trust him by faith, or we get offended by him, by the way we live our lives in him. And we need to make a choice. Then Peter says, You need to anesthetize yourself because there's going to be a lot of people around you who are not going to like the choice that you make when you choose for Christ. He said, believe me, they're going to be very upset that you're not like the good old person you used to be. That you've decided for divine enjoyment and divine enablement rather than living in the world. I know a guy who who came to me one time was having problems with his marriage and it came up that he was having an affair. And I told him, as long as you continue to hold this woman on your side and she's part of your life, you are not going to have a healthy marriage. You're not going to give your wife what she needed. And I said, there's got to stop. Stop. Peter says that, he says, for the time already has passed sufficient. For you have been carried out by the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. He said, this is what you were, but now it's gone. In all this, notice what it says, they, who's that? The world. They're surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of cessation. So they malign you. They throw your name in the dirt. They make fun of you. And young people, today, I want you to understand this, that you're gonna be offered drinks, you're gonna be offered pot, you're gonna be offered maybe cocaine, There's going to be all kinds of offerings out there for you. I can remember in my day, which was ancient, offered those things. And when I said no, I got the wrath of my friends. Because they knew what they were doing was wrong and they wanted to have me on board with them so they wouldn't feel as bad. And when you say no, you're standing for Christ. And they're giving themselves over to their sensual desires. And some of them never make it out. They're giving themselves to lawless idolatry. For those of us, sometimes it's easy to play in your mind as you've picked up today on the prayer of confession. It's easy to play in your mind thoughts about some people who you may not like. And you find yourself putting them down in front of other people when you have this lawless idolatry for yourself. And you want to lift yourself up above those people. You have to say no to that. It's a temptation. Just like a sexual temptation. I'm working with one young man right now who's got a sexual addiction. Learning how to break the chains that are on his life that started when he was three years old with his father. And he's learning how to break those chains and let the grace of Christ enter in him and break those chains. From that sickness that is destroying his marriage and his life. And that personal spiritual battle. That he's fighting right now with that pressure to bring him down. And I told him that his theology... Needs to be changed with a great Christology of Christ forgives you and wants to change you. And if you trust Him and give Him victory and give Him your thoughts, you can overcome this. And instead, not give yourself over to the sick thinking. And to understand God for who He is. I said, if you really trusted God, you would realize That this stuff is all sick and going to end and it's destroying you. And if you want a victory over it, develop a good view of God. Psalm 139 gives us a tremendous view of God. Where we see who God knows even our thoughts before we even have them. And that he's over them. And that we take our thoughts captive to Christ. That we understand that this high priest is there for us who knows what we're going through and has conquered it for us and he can take us through it. And that we understand that. And then I asked him I said, when you got your phone out, when you're in front of that computer, do you know that God is watching you? He knows what you're taking into your eyes. I said, if you knew Jesus was standing right next to you, would you be looking at what you're looking at? Imagine that, folks. What thoughts do we have plaguing in our minds that are sinful thoughts? I have a friend who battles paranoia, schizophrenia. And for a while he didn't come to church. And I asked him why he hadn't been coming to church and he said to me, because my medication's not working. He says, I have these thoughts. When I come into your church, and my paranoia is working. He says, I'm thinking. Every thought that I have in my mind is going up on the screen. And people know exactly what I'm thinking. And I'm afraid to go in there. Because I don't want people to know some of the bad thoughts I have that are going on in my mind. You see, If we believed that, what would we allow in our minds? What would we take into our eyes if we believe that there was someone like Jesus watching what we're taking into our eye gate and our mind? You see, it's a clash of the world. Debauchery, is basically doing life without God. A general wickedness. Lust, we know what lust is. It's a sexual sinful desire of seeking sex. Illicitly. Drunkenness, we know what that is. Orgies, parties that encounter sexual encounters. Detestable idolatry of making something our God inside of our hearts, whether it's us or something we desire. Jesus calls us, calls us out of that. You know, it's interesting how they did a survey after 9-11 of what some of the Middle Eastern students believe about Americans. And before that, some of them believed that we were a country who had in God we trust on our dollar bills and That was kind of an indication for godly people. But a lot of the Middle Eastern kids and the Muslims that they went on to university, they said, we hate Americans because there's two things on their mind, money and sex. That we see children Being disposed of if it doesn't fit into their world and abort it. They see television that is disgusting and provides all this porn and sickness and sin, and it's destroying the culture. And then they we wonder why the Muslims had a jihad against America and hit the pillar of the economic world, which is Wall Street. Because of all its sin. And we as Christians need to stand. We need to show the world that we are different no matter what they think of us. No matter what pressure our friends put on us and saying that we're no good. I can tell you how many times I was told that in college. That I was no fun. Because I wanted to do what the Lord wanted. I was boring. Except they wanted me as a bouncer at the, the haggers that they had for drinking. So that people wouldn't get hurt and beat up. And my friend also. And it's when we show ourselves different. Augustine, before he was came to know Christ, he was a wild man. He was a partier, debauchery, all that time. The females, the prostitutes he ran with. And when he came to know Christ, he was walking down his hometown road one day, and a gal called out to him, oh, Augustine, Augustine, it's me. One of his old girl prostitutes. And he turned his shoulder over and he said, I know, but I'm not me. Because Christ had changed his heart and he walked away from that belligerent lifestyle. You see, you know it as well as I do. It's hard running against the crowd, but that's who we are. We're different, we're called to be different. We're called to show it. I was reading about a race in Riverside, California. 10,000-meter race, 150 contestants. And as they started out and they were going down the road, the fella in the lead and two other people went to the right because that's the way they were supposed to go. But the rest, because the flag had Flipped over, they continued down, straight down the road. And they were wrong in going where they were going. And they were calling them over. And they wouldn't listen. That's what it is for us, folks. We know what the right road. (laughs) But there's going to be a lot of people who are wanting to stand in the way. And prevent you from doing the will of God. And be prepared. I can tell you some of the phrases yeah, he's got religion. Ever since he had Jesus, he's weird. Oh, he's just one of those Bible thumpers. Oh, he's no fun anymore. Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. Yeah, you know, all those things, folks. It doesn't matter. We know what's right. And that's what Peter says. Anesthize your things. Hear that word from God. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And then finally, apprise yourself to realize and and warn them. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead. That though they were judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. And what he's saying here, folks, judgment is coming. And you'll have to stand for what you've done. Adversaries will come. They'll put the pressure on you, whether it be at work or your neighborhood or friends, but don't let it get you off what you've gotta do. Keep on pressing for what is good for what is right. I think of some of these Olympic athletes who could have gone to the parties and could have gone and done this and done that with their, and they spent their time in the gym constantly refining their gift. That's who we are. And that we are solid and clear and firm as to what we are to be and how we're to act. And we're not afraid. Because we know in the end we will stand before the judge of this universe. And he will not be saying, you're going to hell. Those without Christ will hear that. But we'll hear another book open. And in that book we will hear Jesus say, Well done thou good and faithful servant. And because of you did this and you did this, and you did this, you will receive a crown with these jewels on it. And you will experience blessings because you lived in the will of God. And that, well done, received the crown of life. That came when you accepted Jesus in your life. You know, folks, there's nothing more scary for me right now as a Christian when we heard that was presented to our government the Equality Act. It's a serious matter. And there are things that there are people in this government who want to change the way we as Christians operate, the influence we can have on this culture and the moral values. And it affects everything from sports to bathrooms and restaurants. And we need to stand strong. Richard Niebuhr, when he wrote on Christ and culture, it's very easy for the church to grab on to the Christ of culture and become part of the world and affirm those world values. But that's not right. There's a Christ above culture that he's over there watching, but he doesn't have much intervention. That's not right either. That's not Christ. That's not what he says here. He says, you and I Are to be in the world as a church, Christ transforming culture, changing it, speaking the truth in love, and letting people know the fallacy of the lives that they're leading and and, and the moral values that they're leading themselves down that are bringing destruction both now and in eternity. And that there is a hell that's not a myth but it's ready for Satan and those who value what he values. And that we see the brokenness in the lives around us. My heart was disturbed and depressed. Several years ago, when I had a friend and I did not know her situation, She had a child. And that child had bought into this world and the things of this world and the values of this world. And tragically, she took her life. And I just thought to myself, oh Lord, I wish I could have even been near, close to her to know her. And for her to see this, lifestyle was a lie from Satan that got her so bound up inside that caused her to do this very sad thing. That this world taught her that this is a okay thing. And for her to take her life, taking that path and basically finding her life more and more out of control and more and more depressed and more and more broken, where she could have had Jesus, the light of life, who wanted to give her eternal life and the life that's meant for her. And you see, that's what Jesus calls us, that we can transform this culture By the values and actions we take. By the ability to take up and step up. And be honest with people about what God has to say. And love them. Do it in love. So that they don't wind up in the desperateness of being left by Satan and destroyed. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, today, I come to you. And I know these brothers and sisters love you. Help us to live those transformed lives. Help us, Jesus, to put on the armor that we go out into the world and no matter what the world says about us, we know the truth. And we know your way is right. And that we continue to walk in that will, both as parents, grandparents, as students, as children. And that we can show the world the way to life, eternal life. Grant us courage. Grant us wisdom. And make every day count for you, Christ. As we do your will, Father. Amen. Let's rise and receive the benediction and close our song. And now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, your Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen.